Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray now that by your Holy Spirit, you will help us understand it and obey it. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a delight to be with you here today, and thank you very much indeed, Bishop Greg and Dean Reggie, for inviting me to preach. I've known Bishop Greg for many, many years, and it was a joy to be at the diocesan convention preaching there too. I bring you warm greetings from the Archbishop of Canterbury, Archbishop Justin. In my job as mission theologian in the Anglican Communion, I have a desk at Lambeth Palace Library, his residence in London, and he knows about the convention and this installation, and he brings you particular greetings which I pass on. There is a lovely story of a bishop shaking hands at the back of church, having preached, and people came up to him and said, thank you very much for your sermon, that was wonderful, and other people said, yes, that was, you really got into the scripture. And then a little old man came by, and he said, that was rubbish. <laughs> so the bishop ignored him, and more people came by saying, thank you, that really moved me. And then the little old man joined the end of the queue again. And he said, that was the worst sermon I ever heard. So the bishop ignored him. And the same happened again. He joined the end of the queue again and was very rude. So the bishop then went up to the church warden and said, um, this this man has been a bit rude. And uh, he said, oh, don't worry about old Fred. He just goes around repeating what everyone else is saying. <laughs> now, Reggie, as dean of this cathedral, <laughs> God is not calling you. Let me continue. God is not calling you to repeat what everyone else is saying. What God is calling you to do from this pulpit, you are to preach the good news of the kingdom of God rooted in the words of Jesus. And in many cases, this is going to be counter-cultural because Jesus was counter-cultural. After this momentous week, in the United States of America and its effects throughout the world. The gospel set for today is the Beatitudes and the Micah reading ends. What I require of you is to do justice, to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. And the Beatitudes are of kingdom ethics. Robert Powell was an actor playing Jesus in the film Jesus of Nazareth in the 1970s. It was an extraordinary series of programs on British TV. I saw an interview with him. He said the most difficult point in that whole film was saying the Beatitudes. They had to film it about 11 times because he kept breaking down at the sheer power of these words. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. They are extraordinary words. 
What Matthew is doing, he gathers Jesus' teaching into five sermons in his gospel. He's deliberately echoing the book of Deuteronomy to show that Jesus is the new Moses. So in chapters 5 to, 11, 5 to 7, which we know as the Sermon on the Mount, that's the, that's the kingdom ethics. And then chapter 10 is the teaching on mission. Chapter 13 is the teaching of the parables gathered together. Chapter 18 is the teaching on the church. Chapters 24 25 is the teaching about the last things. Some people think the Sermon on the Mount is about legalism. It's not. It is about extraordinariness. And Reggie, as dean, and you as the people of the cathedral, you are called to be extraordinary. There was a questionnaire that went around Britain uh, and had various questions. Do you believe in God? And someone put yes. Do you believe in a God who can change things in the world? And someone put no, just the ordinary one. <laughs> just the ordinary one. God is extraordinary and we are called to follow his extraordinariness. We are justified by faith. This isn't legalism, the Sermon on the Mount. Right at the beginning of the sermon is justification by faith. It's there. Jesus declares, you are blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. It's not that if you do this, you will be blessed. He declares right at the beginning in the indicative, you are blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And there's wonderful rhythm in this. It's been translated from the Greek back into Aramaic. And I know, Reggie, we had a, a really good dinner last, last night, um, has been teaching New Testament. When it's translated back into the Aramaic, it forms beautiful Aramaic poetry. I was in Kenya for seven years, and in developing the uh, Anglican Church of Ken Ke Kenya liturgy with um, Bishop David Gitari, um, and, and the morning and evening prayer, we use this as a canticle and the beautiful rhythm of it. What I'd love you to do is to memorize this. Sometimes you're set homework at school, aren't you? I'm going to set you some homework from this pulpit. I would love all of you this week to memorize these Beatitudes. It's quite simple. They're quite short. And then next week, maybe Dean Reggie will come and test you. <laughs> we don't know. But memorizing Scripture is, is wonderful, and that's just a challenge for you. It's a reversal of human values. Human beings usually want to be rich and successful and secure. Here Jesus says, blessed are the poor, those who mourn, those who are persecuted. What's going on here? Let's look very briefly at them. There's eight of them. Verse 3, poor in spirit. Those who are downtrodden, the remnant of God, those who can only rely on God. The parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. He beats his heart and says, have mercy on me, a sinner. Blessed are those who mourn, those who are sorrowful. There are deaths in many families. I've just lost my father who died uh, a week ago. He was full of faith and full of years. He was 91. And yet it still hits you. Even though you know he's going to die, it still hits you. But it's also those who mourning for their own sins. Blessed are the meek. I saw a graffiti once. The meek will inherit the earth, if that's okay with the rest of you. <laughs> but in everyday world, P 
people who fight and scratch and clamber on others get their own way. But that's not the Jesus way. We shouldn't be easily provoked. We shouldn't sulk over offenses. Verse 6, those who, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And this picks up the Micah lesson today. I require of you to do justice, to love kindness and walk humbly with your God. Morally, in your own motives and in your attitudes. Socially, in liberating people who are downtrodden. There's a wonderful quotation etched in the glass of the Supreme Court in London. I was taken round that um, about a few years ago, and I wrote it down. Injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable web of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Wh who, whatever affects one directly affects us all indirectly. Many of you will know that. It was written in the Bur uh, Birmingham Alamaba jail by Martin Luther King on the 6th of April, 1963. That is etched in the glass of our Supreme Court. And standing up for justice is very, very important. Blessed are those you who are merciful. And the parable of the Good Samaritan Jesus looked on the crowd and had compassion on them is a wonderful exposition of this whole um, beatitude. And it's picked up in Micah as well, to love kindness, that's the word mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. Our psalm today reflected that, they shall see God. Psalm 24 does as well, clean hands and a pure heart. So it's not surface religion of the Pharisees, it's deep. Blessed are the peacemakers, verse 9. This is divine work that you're doing. Sons and daughters, not peace lovers, but peacemakers. And shalom, peace comes with justice at home and at work. And then verse 10, blessed are the persecuted for my sake. When I was in Kenya, I worked with David Guitari, and he stood out for justice na uh, nation locally, nationally, and internationally. There was another bishop I admired, Bishop Alexander Muge. He was in Western Kenya. I knew him, but not quite so well. And there was a local politician in Busia, in Western Kenya, and he was volatile. He was volca uh, volcanic, and he was a demagogue. And he said to Alexander Muge, if you come to Busia, you will see fire, and you may not leave alive because he'd been challenging him on justice. Alexander Muga had booked a confirmation service in Busia. What did he do? He went. He preached to 9,000 people. He was very brave. After that, at the end of the service, um, an unmarked milk lorry, which had been held by the police at the top of a hill in a police check, careered down the hill, down the road, and smashed into his car, and he was killed. So this is happening all around the world. People are standing up for justice against volatile, volcanic uh, demagogues. It's there throughout the world, and we need to pray for people throughout the world who are standing up for justice. 
So these are eight characteristics of the life of the kingdom of God. They're actually a portrait of Jesus himself. As you memorize this this week, look at the various parts of it, and you will see a portrait of Jesus Christ himself. And I long for you to see, Reggie, a portrait of yourself there and all your people here. In 2005, it was the 25th anniversary of my ordination, and I was at that stage vicar of Islington in the middle of London. And Oliver O'Donovan, we were talking about Oliver last night over dinner, Reggie, um, was a professor at Oxford who had influenced me in terms of my vocation. He came and preached, and he said this. I'm going to contextualize it for this place. He said, um, and this is, this is for you, Reggie. While you are in this cathedral, Reggie, you must not cease to journey around the world. The whole scriptures, the whole apostolic doctrine, the whole Christian life, the whole world church must break in on Orlando through your ministry. And then Oliver said, so let me offer one sobering, but I hope exhilarating thought. God never meant there to be a church in Orlando. God meant there to be an Orlando in the church. And I finish with a poem. It's called The Prayer Stool. I wrote this about 1986 in Kenya. I was on retreat, and it was the first time I had used a prayer stool, which you can sit back on um, under your thighs and with a straight back, and you can pray for about an hour. And in doing so, I took my shoes off and my watch and glasses and pen and keys, and I thought, what am I actually doing here? And I was taken deeply into worship of God. Then after that, I put those things back on again, and God sent me deeply out in mission. And that is the heart of what you're doing here, Reggie, worship towards God and mission towards God's world. And they're both important. You can't breathe in without breathing out. It's called the prayer stall, and I leave it with you. I leave aside my shoes, my ambitions, undo my watch, my timetable, take off my glasses, my views, unclip my pen, my work, put down my keys, my security, to be alone with you, the only true God. After being with you, I take up my shoes to walk in your ways, strap on my watch to live in your time, put on my glasses to look at your world, clip on my pen to write up your thoughts, pick up my keys to open your doors. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.